0: The editor of Royals Review. Later on, we'll talk to Sean Newkirk and David Lesky about some of the projections that are out now. And we'll also talk about baseball's new playoff proposal. But first, we have a special guest. Most of our readers will be well familiar with Dan Zimborski. He's a senior writer at Fangraphs and a contributor to ESPN.com. He's also best known for being the creator of the Zips projection system. Dan, thanks so much
1: for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. And make sure to say hi to Sean and David, me because I know them too.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they'll love hearing from you, uh, and I, I think most of our readers are pretty familiar with you. I know you've, you've, you'll occasionally pop in our comments, uh, and I think most <laughs> of our readers are very familiar with the Zips projection system, but for anyone listening that maybe isn't as familiar with Zips, uh, can you kind of talk about what it is and maybe a little bit of what
1: goes into it? Uh, I thought from that preamble I was going to get to escape the executive summary. Uh, <laughs> uh, Zips is a computer projection system. On, on a basic level... It works by establishing a baseline for every player at this moment of their careers, comparing them to a large, large group of similar players with similar baselines at similar points in their career, uh, and then using those players as kind of a guide to see where that the player in question can go. Because we don't really have experimental data in baseball. We have, you know, everything we know about baseball comes from what happened before, Anything we know about how, say, Adam Dunn ages, and I need to freshen that reference considering he's been retired for a while. But <laughs> everything we know about how Adam Dunn ages is, is based on baseball history. We, we, we can't put him in a test tube and run him a million times. Uh, and even if we could, I think the MLBPA would have an objection to that. Uh, and, you know, our, the goal is to, is to you know take a very foggy future and just peer through it a little bit. Uh, projecting the future is, is really, really hard. Uh, and the best we can do is, you know, get a sneak peek at a little better. And as I always say, my goal is to be the least horrific way to predict the future in baseball. Uh, I know that that's not exactly great for, you know, press blurbs, the least horrific way. Uh, but that is kind of a realistic description of the challenge that, that I tackle
0: yeah, and I think there's always a the caveat. That, you know, we're talking about humans, and human beings are very, by our nature, very unpredictable. And so, you can always have breakout seasons, or maybe a guy that just was was nursing an injury all season. when of course, you can't project that. So, it seems like you know projection systems are, are really just the most probable outcome with a lot of these players. Uh, but it isn't, you know, obviously nothing set in stone, and then these games are played on the field. Uh, it's just for the Royals, you know, you come out the the 2020 projections for them. Obviously they're coming off a 103 loss season and no real significant upgrades. I'm not going to call Michael Franco a significant upgrade. Um, <laughs> so they don't look that great. Um, and Well they, you, you know, have Alex, you have Alex Gordon entering his prime <laughs> 36 year old Alex Gordon coming back. He is a seven time gold glove winner and his defense is still pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it's it's players on the decline or players that perhaps never were. Uh, I was surprised, though, that it seemed like Zips had a couple of bright spots for the Royals. I think, uh, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hunter Dozier and Jorge Soler, a couple of guys that kind of went from, you know, barely replacement-level talent to all-star-level talent in one year. And while I think, um, you know, I think we can expect some regression from them, you know, I think their numbers held up okay under Zips. What, you know, how, what, what are you kind of looking for from them, and how do you, is it is there, like, a particularly ch- uh, ch- difficult... Uh, to project guys that kind of have a, a drastically different performance in a season like that,
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, it can be. Uh, I mean, I, I do expect uh, Dozier and especially Soler to be to be fine. I think, uh, and I, I, I think the team is a little better than it was last year. Uh, if you look at the projections, uh, it doesn't really suggest a, a hundred and three win. Excuse me, hundred and three lost team. We know it doesn't project a hundred and three wins. Uh, it looks a lot more like, you know, a 70-win team. Uh, but my my general objection or my uh, disagreement with the Royals tends to come down to is the way they're designed. A lot of the successes don't really matter for the long-term viability of the team. Uh, I mean, they seem to be good at getting breakouts from 28 and 29-year-olds a couple years before they hit free agency. But that's not really the blueprint for what's going to make the Royals good again. Uh, I mean, Solaire could have a four win season, and, and, you know, he's nearing free agency. And then uh, Merrifield, I mean, he could also have a four win season, but also he's not a young player anymore. He's he's 31 this year. Uh, I, I think that, that the Royals have long term problems, even in the context of the short term successes that they will continue to see uh, with individual players.
0: Yeah, in your article, which we'll link to in our when we post this, uh, you write that the Royals are in, in the middle of one of the weirdest re- rebuilds you can remember, and it, you know it seems like they're they're not really trying to tear it down and trade every single asset they have, but they're also not really actively trying to compete either. And I think that's a criticism a lot of people on our site and many of our writers have had as well. I mean, is there is there any kind of avenue for success, kind of taking this third way, as you put it, um, or is this kind of uh, you know the the drive to seventy five that we saw, kind of the Pittsburgh Pirates take
1: a decade ago. I I think I'm um, uh, everyone. I mean, everyone knows already. I'm not terribly optimistic about the Royals, but I do think that they look a lot like you know the Dave Littlefield era Pirates. Uh, I, I think in today's game, it uh, that wind is you don't winning seventy five games doesn't make you more likely to win eighty five games the next year just because you have momentum or or going on the right pathway or something. Uh, I think that the way they had success when they, you know, won the World Series, I think that's hard to replicate because, you know, it started with a with a Zach Granke trade uh, in which pretty much everyone worked out, which is kind of rare, and, you know, you get credit for that. Uh, but they didn't trade a Granke this time. They didn't get Granke-like prospects, uh, uh, c- uh, c- even in, in the trade, like, with the Reds. I... Also think that you know the draft record isn't as good as it was in, in you know 2008 2009. Mm-hmm. You, you look at their drafts and they're not going to get a lot from the drafts over like the last decade or so. So it's hard to see how they win without one having either a great farm system, two be great at finding young talent with upside, or three having a lot of money, and. To to change my mind, I have to have a reason to believe the Royals will be good at one of these things, and I just don't.
0: Yeah, and I think if they were to try to hang their hat on some, some young talent, I think one of those players would be to Montessi, who is, you know, on the young side. and They've got him under club control for, for quite a few years. Um, you know, it's clear he has superstar talent as far as his speed and defense and power, but his walk rate, of course, certainly leaves a lot to be desired. Um you know, you write that the Royals should try to ink him to a long-term contract. So, what do you what do you kind of foresee from him going forward? I mean, uh, is, you know, obviously he's probably going to be comp to a lot of similar players who struggle to get on base. Is the you know is kind of the the potential for that
1: kind of player always going to be maybe a little bit limited? Uh, well, the question is, will the Royals be able to get the most out of him? Uh, I think there's a lot of Javier Baez uh, in Mondesi. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of upside I still think he has. Uh, because, you know, even Baez now isn't exactly the most disciplined hitter at the plate. Uh, but, I mean, his average outcome isn't Javier Baez. But I think he's the type of player that the Royals should want. A player who's young enough to have upside and has enough service time left that that upside actually matters to the Royals. Uh, the problem isn't, you know, Mondesi is, is is you know probably the team's most valuable asset, but they need... They should be looking to field a lineup of Mondeses, Uh not a lineup of Merrifields. Even though Merrifield is the better player right now, uh, if if you could if you could find you know two or three Mondesi types uh, uh, to to put in the lineup next to the real Mondesi, find a couple you know similar type pictures, then I think the Royals start to look interesting because then you can see their upside. Uh, I just don't quite see the scenario that that path to ninety wins. Uh, where the current organization is at this minute. Right. Yeah, one of
0: the things I really like about Zips is, is your your top comps. And for Monacy, it's, it's Juan Samuel. And for you younger kids, uh, Samuel was a, a nice player. He was a three-time All-Star. Uh solid player, certainly not a star, but a guy that you could kind of you know uh, have a solid place in your lineup every day. Uh, and so and if that's the most probable outcome for Monacy, I think that's that's good, but that's probably not the kind of guy that's going to carry them to to like the the, the promised land or anything like that. Uh, The Royals might, I think, instead be looking towards their minor league pitching prospects to kind of be the foundation of a team that can, you know, hopefully get back to contention. And what kind of surprised me is that Zips was, I think, fairly optimistic for uh, some of the younger pitchers like Brady Singer, uh, who actually projected to be a one and a half uh, wins above replacement pitcher. Uh, What are kind of the challenges in projecting a guy like that who doesn't have any major league experience, and in fact, his minor league experience is pretty limited as well.
1: The challenge, of course, is massive, and, you know, Zips focuses on, uh, especially with pitching prospects, on guys who have at least hit Double AA, uh, because uh, I know, you know, baseball prospectus had that old acronym, you know, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, which, I mean, was, was kind of humorous and shorthand, but, you know, every good acronym has a bit of truth, truth in it. I said truth, didn't I? I <laughs> said can truth. Yeah, I, I I think no, you don't. Edit it no That's it makes it more fun when, <laughs> when people know I can't pronounce major words. Uh, I I think I think the playoff thing is 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 is, is has destroyed my brain just a little bit. Uh, but but going but going back to the question at hand, uh, you can. There's a lot that performance can tell you, but it can't tell you everything. And when you look at them. I mean, pictures themselves, the projections have huge error bars. And when you talk about, uh, minor leaguers, those, those bars become even larger because you have a very inconsistent level of play. You have not the, you know, the, the major league training staff, the major league attention, the major league data. Uh, so it is, it is hard to project those guys. But one thing I always say is that risk is the best friend of a rebuilding team. Certainty is the enemy of a rebuilding team that, the Royals have a lot of minor league pictures that they don't know about. That's a good thing for the organization because the, the benefit of uh, being a poor team when it comes to rebuilding isn't just that you get those high as higher draft picks. That's nice, but it's also that you can absorb risk in different ways than a great team can. Uh, the Yankees don't have the luxury of taking a long look at Brady Singer. Uh, it, it, it's just not they need certainty in their, in their pitching rotation more than the upside. Uh, so the Royals should be looking at guys who are interesting and have upside, but might be terrible. Because it doesn't matter if they're terrible or not. The idea is to... It, it, it's literally the throw it, throw it the wall territory and see what sticks. And I think that's what the Royals should be focused on, not kind of this high-floor, low-ceiling type that they seem to be interested in generally, especially at the major league level.
0: No, I think that's a really good point. That's something I've I've kind of stressed as well, and I think it's why some of our fans, I think, as much as we love Alex Gordon, he's one of the you know more iconic players in franchise history. We've had a lot of great memories with him, but it's a little frustrating to to bring him back, and and I'm sure they're going to play him on a regular basis when they could be getting a lo- long look at Brett Phillips or Bubba Starling or Nick Heath, none of whom are like top prospects where I really expect to be great outfielders, but you never know. And like you say, kind of throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And you never know, like when you get another Hunter Dozier or Whit Merrifield who can kind of develop at a later age and kind of exceed your expectations uh, and and be the kind of useful player that is helpful to a rebuild uh, rather than a, an Alex Gordon who will probably be retired a year from now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, that, uh, that stance on rebuilding teams. Um, you know, I did also want to talk a little bit more about the starting pitchers that they have other than Brady Singer. Some of the veterans guys... Uh, you know, what's interesting to me is that Zips kind of projected their their top four guys: Danny Duffy, Brad Keller, Jacob Junis, and Mike Montgomery, all to be around a uh, one and a half to two and a half wins, which isn't like they're not the Dodgers or anything, but that's not. Like that's better than what the Orioles are throwing out there. Like it's, hey, it's solid. <laughs> I'm <from Baltimore>, remember. <laughs> hey, that's all, that's all we have right now is a, you know, comparing ourselves to like the Orioles and Tigers. That's it, the only thing we have to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Okay. Um,
1: well, I'm I'm gonna compare it to the to the Tigers offense just to be mean now. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think it's fair. Um you know, in particular though, I think uh Zips was kind of optimistic about Brad Keller, who who was you know, say what you will about Dayton Moore. And I know you
1: said uh, a lot of mean things about Dayton Moore. <laughs> but... I made a lot of mean drawings about Dayton Moore, too. I think <laughs> I think date, Dayton Moore, I mean, I've never really been an artsy person. So I think that Dayton Moore is probably the person that I've drawn the most in my life. <laughs> That's kind of sad, but I think it's true.
0: If you look up uh, Dan Zaborski's Twitter field, you'll see various drawings of, of Billy making uh, various uh, uh, pleadings to Dayton Moore. Uh, but. That's uh that's something you
1: can look up on your own time. But uh anyway, yeah, look, look up Dayton Moore's A Christmas Carol. That that's my favorite one of the, <laughs> of the of the of the series. Uh but Dayton Moore did find Brad
0: Keller off the scrap heap, a rule five pick from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh seemingly a pretty nice find. What do you kind of see for Brad Keller going long term with the Royals?
1: Well, Zips is actually quite optimistic about Brian Keller long term. Or Brad Keller long term, sorry. Again, broken brain playoff structure. Uh, Zip sees him as a legitimate two or three guy for you know six seven years going forward. Uh, I think he was a great find, and I think that f- that picking him out of of the uh, Diamondbacks Double A uh, team, I think that was one of the team's best moves, and I think it was a good move. And I have I have no problem praising the worlds when I do when they do something I think is good. Uh, when 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 you know they added Johnny Cueto, I thought that was good. I have no problems. Uh, you know, giving credit where credit is due. Uh, so I, I, I do think that Keller is, 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 I mean, I don't think he has like huge star upside. I just, from a non-projection standpoint, I don't know if he really has a stuff for, for a huge upside. I mean, he's still pretty much, you know, he's a fastball slider guy. Neither. I mean, his fastball isn't like 98 or anything. Uh, he's not a huge strikeout guy. He, he does need to have a pretty decent defense behind him, but I think he's gonna be a really good picture for a long time. Uh, and, and Zips does agree with that. Uh, but, you know, we'll see.
0: And, we, you know, we've referenced it a couple of times uh, <laughs> in this conversation, but we probably should discuss the MLB playoff structure. And I'll let you get your hand out. In case anyone doesn't know, there was a report from Joel Sherman at the New York Post who uh, reported the baseball is considering adding uh, two more playoff teams by 2022. And what they would do is allow the first the top seed in each league to have a first round bye. And then the second and the third seed would be allowed to choose their opponent for a three-game series to determine who advances on to the division series. Uh, and in fact, the the, the selection uh, would be in a would be a part of a, a TV production, kind of like the NCAA selection show.
1: So, Dan, tell us why this is the greatest idea in baseball history. <laughs> well, it would make me want to watch less baseball, and then I have time to do other things. Uh, I mean, I'd still have to watch some baseball since I'm kind of employed as a baseball writer. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I I just don't see the idea uh, of trying to emulate what... I mean, baseball wants to be the NBA, but baseball, the game, is not designed to be a basketball game. Uh, Like You look at the NBA playoffs. Yeah, they have 16 teams in the playoffs, but they don't really have a 16 team playoffs because the seventh and eighth seeds rarely, uh, advance even one round. They don't win championships and that wouldn't be the case in baseball. You put, if you apply this structure to 2019, you are you are going to have, uh, you know, the Red Sox are going to win, have a pretty good shot at winning the world series going into 84 and 78. Uh, Do the Phillies get in? I can't remember offhand if they're 7th or 8th. But the, the point is that the difference between a great team and a good team in the NBA or the NFL is a lot larger than it is in baseball. And once you make the playoffs kind of random, it's like, who really cares? I mean, every 500 team in the AL would have been in the playoffs this year. And only one team, the Astros, would have any real advantage over the others because home field advantage in baseball just doesn't mean all that much uh so it just becomes not that interesting to me when there's really no incentive for a team to win 95 games instead of 85 games
0: yeah so if this had been instituted a couple years ago the 2017 royals who won 80 games with 80 and 82 uh, and they were in the wild card hunt for most of the summer kind of fell apart in september they would have made the playoffs as a six seed. And I can't believe that anyone in Kansas city would have been actually too pumped up about, you know, that team, you know, and maybe, you know, they go on a postseason run. Maybe that does get people excited, but yeah, I just don't see this getting fans that excited. You know, it's not going to pick up new fans and it's going to alienate the current fans. So what's the upside, I guess, selling more product to TV Partners, but uh, yeah, it's just it's another one of those infuriating ideas that Rob Manfred has. I think he just needs to put a lid on, <laughs> a lid on his idea box for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I share your ire about the the playoff system, and I'm sure I'll talk about more about it with 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 uh, Sean and David. But uh, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing your <laughs> thoughts
1: on that. Uh, and, yeah, it, I have a lot more thoughts. Uh, a lot of them are probably a little blue. <laughs>
0: Well, you can read uh, all about Dan's uh, Royals projections at Fangraphs.com.
1: Where else can we read you, Dan? Oh, well, you've you've already said one of them. That's my main employer these days. Uh, I I still pop up occasionally at ESPN.com. I I didn't burn any bridges uh, from my full-time employment from 2010 to 2018. So I'm still there from time to time. Uh, You can find me at D Zaborski on Twitter, D-S-C-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. You don't really need to know all the letters. The Google man will fix it for you. And, of course, we'll link to that as well. Uh, you can also mention my name on Royals <laughs> Review, and I will find it at some point because I'm, you know, I'm moderately self-absorbed like lots of writers are.
0: Yeah, if you if you, if you you say Zamborsky three times in the comments, Dan will. You can actually uh, say it
1: just once. I don't, <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm Beetlejuice, but, you know, you don't need to do it three times. Well, it's, it's, by this
0: time, it's just out of habit. So <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, take care, and thanks so much for the projections. Thanks for having me on, Max. All right. We're back and joining me now is Royals Review writer and I guess our resident film critic Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight?
2: Uh, good, good. Uh, Oscars were great. We had a little shindig like we do every year, so it was pretty good. Gave out some awards of our own, so it was good.
0: Did, did Parasite take home uh, Best Picture in your party?
2: Um, it surprised a lot of people, myself included. So really good film. Not my favorite, but very good film.
0: Yeah, I saw there um there's a tweet from uh John Cho the actor who I guess he was there but he you know he was he's not in the film but he is he's Korean American and he was saying like people were just coming up to him and congratulating him on the Oscar. So I just I just want to state that I'm I'm Korean American but I had nothing to do with the film Paris. In fact, I haven't even seen it yet. I need to see it this Oh, week.
2: So but when you watch it, you got to watch it with subtitles off.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know enough Korean. To <laughs> listen. I didn't know what I didn't know what Bong uh, was saying when he was up there. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Also joining me is a frequent guest uh, on eight hundred and ten WHB Sports Radio. He's also a contributing writer at Royals Review and Baseball Prospectus. David Leskey. David, how are you doing tonight?
3: Uh, I'm doing great, and um, just so you know, I'm going on six hundred and ten as well this year. So <laughs> oh,
0: okay. So just also, I, I know radio stations all over the, the Midwest. So uh, well, yeah. You- the King of Media. Well, you know, earlier I did talk to Dan Zamborski about Zips, uh, which came out a few weeks ago for the Royals. Uh, last week, Baseball Prospectus released their Pocota projections. So we've got some projections. I and They don't look super great for the Royals, but I thought maybe there were a couple interesting projections. I, I want to go over some over-unders with you guys here in a minute. But I guess, first of all, um, you know, Pocota projected 68 wins for the Royals, um, which uh is is better than they did last year obviously it's nine win improvement david uh did you what kind of stood out for you uh with you with the pacota standings uh and and do you are you gonna take the over or under on 68 wins for the royals oh
2: boy
3: uh, <laughs> 68 wins i'd be like the big number for me mm-hmm. um I'd, pr- I'd probably lean under just because I don't see them winning seventy plus games, which you know I, I think for the most part the over of sixty eight is seventy plus. Um, I don't think they're going to be as horrible, um, but you know it's funny because you look at sixty eight wins and it seems like an optimistic number, which is is not optimistic. It's actually still quite bad. So um, I'd probably take the under, but I think sixty eight is just about right for me.
0: Yeah, it was a third worst record in the American League, a third worst record in baseball with only the Mariners and and Orioles doing worse, Uh, but it would be a nine-game improvement. But but
3: they made the playoffs in one out of a thousand thousand projections. That's true. (laughs) In a
0: thousand projections, they did make the playoffs. So there is a chance, and the Tigers, who who were projected to win 69 games, did not uh, make the playoffs in any of the projections. So I guess we have that going for us. Sean, it's huge. Yeah, it's everything. Sean, yeah. Uh, Sean, were there any kind of anything that stood out to you at the standings? I know there's a with the American League they you know they had the repeat uh, winners with the Yankees, uh, Twins, and Astros. But in the National League, they did have the Mets as the top team in the East, which is a little surprising, and the Reds as a top team in the Central. Uh, what what kind of stood out to you? How
2: about how about sixty two wins by the Orioles? Well, call it sixty three, I guess sixty two point nine. I think I. I think I would take the, wait, the under, more, fewer wins. I can't think of the right way to say that. So I would take the under on that. Uh, I think they lose more than 63 games, right? That doesn't seem crazy. I think it's tough to ever project a team to lose 100 games. But the Orioles really stink, like really bad. <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I can name four pitchers on that team at the moment. Uh, John Means and Dylan Bundy, that's about it, right? I don't know who no, else is on now. Bundy for the Angels. Oh, yeah, duh, exactly. So there you go. So I can name one guy now, John Me. Uh, what about, uh so, still yeah. have
0: uh, Mike Mussina or, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. So, I yeah, think, it's, it's a yeah. bad team. And, 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 you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think projection systems, I think, tend to kind of flatten out at the margins anyway. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to project, yep. like, real big sure. outlier. You know, there's only one team that projects to win 100 games, and <laughs> that's the Dodgers. Uh, only one team, I guess no teams really project to lose 100 games, which, Considering all the teams that did last year, that that would be kind of unusual. So, uh, you know, 68 is probably, I think, high. I think the Royals are probably looking at 64, 65 wins, I think, unless they get some really surprising performances from those young pitchers. So, um, you know, Pakoda has typically underestimated the Royals, but the last couple of years they've actually overestimated the, made the Royals because the Royals have been so bad in real life. So, uh, you know, I, I think... It's, it's it's probably a little high for the Royals this year, but um, you know we'll see.
2: Wade LeBlanc. Blanc, I've known. Wade is I should have known that Wade LeBlanc is now on that. Yeah, he may Royals. be their opening it's day not, starter. I don't know. How I no, understand. he's number two. Yeah. Guy <laughs> John means local guy. Wait, they've got Alex Cobb. That's
3: three. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so they still have him.
2: Yeah, he's and, actually um, a big money what's guy. What's the
3: closer's name? Givens, Michael Givens. Yeah,
0: Bro. yeah, that's <laughs> that's a sign of a of a contender right there. Uh, were there any uh, individual projections that that stood out to you david um uh, you know there' the i think pacda has traditionally kind of i think knocked salvador Perez for his framing a little bit um the pitching staff doesn't look great uh but there's some bright spots on the offense what kind of stood out to you on uh, as far as individual projections
3: uh, a couple of things what you wrote in the article brett phillips um i don't I'm not entirely sure. I guess, I guess he was really good in Omaha last season and um, at least for the last, last couple months he was down there. And so maybe that played into the projection a little bit, but uh, to project him to hit better than he ever has is interesting. Um, I thought that was, you know, I, a, a little bit optimistic, strangely enough with, with Pocotta. Um And I also, I thought the Salvador Perez prediction projection was a little bit interesting too, because it's pretty much what he'd done throughout his career and I feel like as as you hit that age thirty, especially with the with a full season miss, which Pakota doesn't know it's Tommy John, of course, but they it knows that he missed a season due to injury. And um, I was a little bit surprised that his projection was that high, given you know, the aging curve and 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 the missed season and all that. So those in, in a good way, those those kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, I, I was also a little bit. Pleasantly surprised with Nicky Lopez's projection because I think it reflects kind of where he should be at, at, as far as his talent level. Um, thought it was interesting that he was projected to be a little bit better than Nick Madrigal from the White Sox, who I think is a really overhyped prospect. Um, and you know that, that that surprised me a little bit. That Picota was kind of in tune with what I was thinking there.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if uh, have there been do you know have there been any adjustments to Evaluating minor league performance considering the juiced ball in A last year. Because, you know, you look at Phillips' his numbers in Triple A last year and they look pretty good, but then you also have to factor in that, you know, right. everyone hit really well in the Pacific Coast League and maybe is basing, and his, his numbers are, his projections are pretty good. I mean, he's, it projects a two twenty eight batting average, but a three twenty three on base and a four eighteen slug, which, you know, combined with his, Kind of defense would make him a, a very valuable player, I think. Um, so I don't know if you know if they've 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 kind of kind of factor in for that or if that's just kind of baked into their minor league um, numbers.
3: You know, I think what they did they they, they took some some percentage off a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but given that it's only a one year trend, it's hard to yeah to use those numbers as. Um, in a projection system, knowing, you know, knowing if they're going to be off or on or or whatever that might be. So I don't think they did probably as much as necessary um, just because from a statistical standpoint, there's not enough of a sample Mm -hmm. there to to be able to reasonably do that, even though everybody logically knows what happened. So, uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of adjustments with Dakota this season, which is I think a big reason why some things kind of, flattened out all over not just at the edges um but uh, the minor league part i think is something they're going to continue to work on and it sounds like i, I think i saw the triple a ball will be the same as the major league ball again so you know after this season we'll have more of a sample and i think the projection systems can kind of account for for triple a offense and and pitching to that matter moving forward
0: sean were there any uh Pocota projections to start to you
2: um, there are some really weird names, as there always is every year, like Kyle Kasser being <laughs> the 11th best player in the system overall, like even among major leaguers, like basically being better than Cam Gallagher and Michael Franco. Um, and then same thing with pitching, Austin Lambright um, was better than – he is the sixth best starter by Warp uh, in the system, uh, better than uh, a lot of – Guys that are going to get a lot of innings in the major leagues this year. So there's just always oddities like that. Um, but realistically, um, the Jesse Hahn projection was pretty interesting. They've got him do, doing pretty decent as well, um, better than I expected. Chris Bubik is another guy as well that was projected well, um, just on the pitcher side at least, um, that is definitely behind the 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 list or the well, I, there he's behind brady singer and jackson kolar and daniel uh, daniel lynch um but yet yeah, he's kind of got the best projections and a lot of that is obviously due to just how well he dominated high a um uh, and then on the hitting side i thought uh solaire actually i was really surprised by three by the three uh wins that pagoda had for Soler like I don't know if they—actually, hold on, let me look right now. I don't remember if they called him a D—oh, they called him a right fielder. I don't know if they split any of that time into DH, because that makes sense. If if they have him plugged in as as a right field for 100% of at-bats, or even the majority of at-bats, the three wins make sense. I think that if it, was, if it was three wins and he was a DH, that means he's going to be a really, really dang good hitter. Um, but I just noticed that they have him, probably partially as, and looks like a yeah— Zero, right field being a um, zero fielding runs above average, which seems probably not realistic. Um, But, uh, you know, still three wins was a lot. Kind of eye-popping for Solaire, which a guy who I think is probably like a two-ish win guy for the most part.
0: Yeah, it seemed pretty, I think, um, optimistic on Solaire. You know, when you see a guy like that that has like a big spike in performance, um, you know, I always kind of expect him to regress, which, you know, they don't have him hitting 48 home runs again. But, you know, still having a very solid season, uh, 37 home runs, you know, uh, uh, 531 slug, 349 on base percentage, you know, it'd still make him a very productive hitter. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And for what it's worth, Zips, I think, was also still pretty high on Soler doing pretty well as well. So, you know, I wanted to take a couple of the projections I saw and maybe get your thoughts um, on, on whether or not uh, the, the, the performance will be over or under the projection. So let's, take, let's start with Soler a little bit. Uh, Pacheco projects him for 37 home runs. Now, obviously, a lot of that depends on health, and he's got some health concerns in the past. And, and uh, last year, he played in all 162 games. Um, so this would, you know, at least show some regression. But, uh, but, David, do you do you would you take the over or under on Jorge Soler hitting 37 home runs next year?
3: I don't want to take the over, but what are the odds? Play 100 games? <laughs> I, yeah. I would. I would probably take the under. Maybe maybe the same number of, you know, home runs per, or, you know, whatever, however you want to put it, mm-hmm. but I think it ends up being the under. Um, and just on real quick on Solaire to kind of look behind the curtain on that. When depth charts are updated here, I think in the next week or 10 days or so, his wins over replacement will probably drop a bit in his Pacota projection, just because he won't be projected for nearly as much time in right field as he was in the original uh, original run. So, we'll see what that number looks like. He probably will not be as high when when the final well when the final preseason Pacota projections come out.
0: Okay, well that's good. That's good to know. Interesting to know. Uh, Sean, what do you have for uh, over under on thirty seven home runs for Soler?
2: Um, I'll take the under, if only because I don't think he'll be healthy enough. I know I I never want to wish for, pl- not that I'm wishing for his health to be bad, and I never want to be pessimistic about a guy's health and saying, no, oh, I bet he gets hurt. But Soler just has not had a history, and I am not really banking on back-to-back years of him being healthy enough to reach that amount of personally.
0: David, you mentioned uh, Nicky Lopez and, and the Picota being kind of high on him. They project a line of, 266, 322, uh, 381 uh, for 703 OPS. So would you take the over or under on Nicky Lopez posting a 703 OPS? Now consider he has put on some weight this offseason. I've heard he's in the best shape of his life. So do you? are you going to buy in on Nicky Lopez exceeding that performance?
3: I mean, he looks good. And as I've said a number of times, if, if he can get enough muscle – that he can keep the outfielders honest, he's going to get a, get a lot of singles. Um, that said, I can't say he's going to until I see it. And so, as of right now, I take the
2: under. What about you, Sean? Um. Uh, yeah, I'm with I, I'm with Dave there. I, I, yeah, I. That's an easy. I agree with everything he said. <laughs> I, can, I have nothing more to add. I think that's about right.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, I, I say this as a big Nicky Lopez fan and a guy that. You know, I still think he'll be a productive major leaguer, but I, I kind of have to see it at the big league level because he's such a his skill set is so I think different from a lot of guys that are in the big leagues. I mean, he really is a throwback that you kind of want to see it work before you really buy in. So I'll I'll take the under for now. Um, I think one of the more interesting. In his, is,
2: what, go ahead. Because he didn't have he didn't have like a ground ball leave the in, he didn't have a ball leave the infield for like twenty straight at bats, right? I mean, like it felt like he could just he he started doing better uh as the season went on which you could tell he was more comfortable throughout the season but like his first like 50 at bats it felt like it was just ground balls that were not leaving the infield right it's nice to see he was feeling better at least yeah yeah that
3: first week he was up he was spraying the ball around the field you thought okay this is the guy who was hitting whatever 350 380 at omaha or whatever it was and then just kind of stopped um so yeah he needs to he needs to lift the ball a little bit but Again, it goes back. I, there's just no room for a ball to drop because he doesn't. He has. He never showed enough power for an outfielder to respect him enough. And it, until he does that, it, he's going to hit 230.
0: Uh, Ryan McBroom was kind of an interesting guy in that I think he'll, he's he's going to get a long look at first base. Uh, kind of a, he played pretty well down the stretch, although it was only 23 games for the Royals last year. Uh, Pakoda has him at a 101 uh, de- uh, as a deserved runs created uh mm-hmm. plus so about a league average hitter zips isn't quite as high on him I have him as a 88 ops plus uh, which doesn't doesn't quite uh you know isn't quite an equivalent but, but pretty similar uh so ryan mcbroom i guess let's just say like aver- a league average hitter do you take the over under on ryan mcbroom being a league average hitter david
3: well, I'm going to start with a little over under that I've made myself, and it's half of a Cactus League MVP, and I take the over. <laughs> I I think Ryan McBroom is prime to be that guy in spring training that people think is the next superstar because he's got good pop. He makes pretty good contact. When you mix in the thin air, the fact that he's probably going to play the sixth through ninth innings against some bad competition, I think he's prime to have a monster spring. Um and with all that said, I take the under because I, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's a guy. I don't think O'Hearn's a guy either. Honestly, I think that the next, the first baseman, if the next time the Royals are good, the first baseman they have is not on the team currently unless Hunter Dozier. Um, and even that, I don't completely buy. So I think the under on, on McBroom, I like the guy. I want him to be the over, but I just don't see it.
0: Sean, do you see Ryan McBroom as a league average hitter or cactus league MVP.
2: All right, Cactus League MVP. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Completely believable. Uh, Give me the Las Vegas. Give me the line on that right now. I'll put money down. Uh, I don't think Vegas has given out those odds for Cactus League MVP. Um, But, I yeah, it's tough, man, for anybody to be a league average hitter. And, like, I wonder how much of McBroom's stats are right now underweighting or at least maybe – I, I hate these word appropriate weighting, but they are not weighting heavily enough his major league performance and are weighting his minor league Triple A numbers maybe a little too much to get there. Because, I mean, it's got him projected to be a pretty dang near close... Uh, actually, spot on. Sorry, 102 to 102 uh, for DR, DRC Plus as Hunter Dozier, who we know just hit whatever it was, 130 or whatever his um, WC, WRC Plus was last year. So... I don't buy that, that he's going to be as equally good hitter as Hunter Dozier, who's already pretty much demolished for practically a full season in the MLB.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that that Arizona League MVP, that I think they named that after Pete O'Brien, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, yeah. That could, well, like it was a originally Mike McDarkness. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but he ended up being a good player. So I don't think, I feel like it should go to someone that wasn't That's ever good. Uh, Ruben Gotai would be another selection. Yeah. Of that was a guy that was oh, like yeah. Cactus League uh, champion. Uh, I thought he was going to be great,
3: by the way. (laughs) You mentioned Hunter
0: Dozier. Uh, Let's talk about him. Uh, Both Zips and Pakoda project some regression from him, uh, but still a pretty good hitter. Uh, Just looking at the Zips projection, has him at a 789 OPS, 251, 321 on base, 468 slug. So down from his 870 OPS from last year. So... David, are you going to take the over or under on a 789 OPS from Hunter Dozier, which would be some regression but still a pretty decent hitter?
3: So, I mean, my question, the problem that I have with any of this, and I should have said this before, what ball is going to be used?
0: Right. I mean, yeah.
3: we we don't know what, what, what the major league offense is going to look like in 2020, and so it's hard to say for sure. But if we're assuming it's the same as 2019 – I'm going to take the over because the power was very real. And even after he struggled coming back from the uh, the thorax injury, what was that, May or June or whatever that was, his struggles, he, it happened, and he was not nearly as good. But he you know, he still slugged 480-something, 485, got on base 320 clips. So I think slight over on that, um, assuming the ball is the same.
0: Sean, what are you at at Hunter Dozier? Do we see a lot of regression from him? Does sign stealing, you know, clamping down on sign stealing affect yeah. major league numbers at all this year? Uh, what do you uh, you take the over or under on a 789 OPS for Hunter Dozier?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, like, his big improvement came, and if you, I, I think if you look at his contact chart, it's basically downward sloping. He started off kind of like, oh, great, it's the same guy that strikes out 28%. Uh, but then kind of came down and then, uh, he and Brian O'Hearn, right. Were the two guys all year, people were saying like, man, he's making good contact. He just needs to drop it for, you know, for O'Hearn, it never really dropped but for Dozier it did. Um, so if he can keep the gains he made in strikeouts, then yeah, I could buy, um, uh, a guy I could buy at the 110, 120 WRC plus. Um, but if he were, back to 28%, 30% strikeout rates, um, then there's no way he's going to be back to the guy that it was hitting, you know, 80, 85 ish WRC plus. So um, we'll see, but, you know, and of course, as, as you mentioned, we'll see what happens to the ball too, because he has to be one of the guys that finished as well um, from a nice juice ball too.
0: I thought one of the most interesting projections and probably the most difficult to project are those of the young pitchers that have no major league experience. So you kind of have to base uh, your projections on their minor league numbers. And so, you know, Zip's, was pretty high on Brady Singer. It had him as a 1.2 win-above-replacement pitcher with a 4.92 ERA and 26 starts, which would be, you know, not great, but but pretty serviceable. Uh, uh, Pakoda had uh, Zach Hockey and Chris Bubik, as you mentioned, as kind of the best of their bunch, although it had them coming out of the bullpen, which I think if you see them coming, you know, 30-40 relief innings, they could be a pretty decent reliever, even coming up from, uh, you know, all the way from high A last year. So I'll just put it to you guys which which pitcher from the 2018 draft class or which pitching prospect i guess do you see being the most valuable royal by wins above replacement this year so knowing what we know about singer's projection knowing uh you know what we know about daniel lynch and, and there's also jackson Coar, and, and some people are the highest on Coar. uh who would you put as the as the most valuable royals rookie pitcher next year david
3: well, I think if you look by wins above replacement, it's probably Brady Singer, just because I think he accumulates the most because he's he's probably going to be up most of the season. It sounds like, based on the articles that we've seen, I mean that's a pretty good indication of what the Royals are thinking. And it sounds like if he's not up in in April for, as the fifth starter, he'll be up in early May, and so he'll have the whole season. I think uh, war per inning, war per you know war per appearance, whatever you want to however you want to look at it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Coar because I think he is the guy who probably hits the ground running a little better between him and singer. I think those are the two who really get the opportunity. Um, and I, I don't know that, I don't know that I'd say Coar is the better long-term bet. I mean, I kind of think that honestly, but I haven't really thought through too much. Um, but from, from, from the word go, I think Coar probably is, is better to start at the big league level. Cause I don't think he needs nearly the adjustment. I don't think he'll need the adjustment time that singer will probably need with major league hitters.
0: Yeah, the drumbeat of articles about singer having a chance to to break with the team. I mean, some of that I think is to light a fire under his fanny, but I mean, it's from Flanny, and so usually that that means it's coming from a pretty good source with the organization, or if not, you know, the actual people running the team. Uh, so that that's probably a good sign that he is. I can see that him getting 20 25 starts this year, even if he doesn't necessarily make the team come, uh, from the outset. So Sean, like, would that does that. You mean Brady Singer is the most valuable ro- rookie Royals pitcher this year, or do you see someone else kind of eclipsing him?
2: Um, we'll see, because Singer Singer's notorious for slow start and then kind of building up, uh, particularly like how, how he did in AA. Um, I have personally Singer behind Lynch and Kowar, Um, So while I think Singer might get more innings, I think that maybe on a per-inning basis or some sort of uh, rate metric, I um, that Coar uh, is going to be better. Um, it, maybe Coar doesn't come up until June or July. Um, I don't know if we see Lynch at all necessarily, um, but I think I think at some point this year it's likely to see Singer and Coar um, both in the rotation. And I think Coar probably out pitches him uh, personally, but again, we'll see because I, I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them come to the bullpen. Uh, well, maybe not Singer, but I could see Coar uh, starting at the bullpen, just kind of breaking in, and then moving to the rotation. Whereas Singer, I'm, I feel like they're just going to stick him right in the rotation.
0: We'll have to keep uh, keep tabs on these projections. I mean, they're at this point in the season, I think they're just more of a, a way to kind of get a give fans a, an idea of what might happen. But of course, that's why they play the games, and you know, who knows, the Royals. They could they could go out and win 100 games this year. You never know. They could if they could. There's no reason why they can't, can't win 15 of the first 20 games to start the season. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how the Royals uh, if they can uh, confound Pachota once again this year. Um, I want to turn to uh, Kendris Morales. He announced his retirement uh, last week after a 13-year major league career. Uh, Morales spent two seasons with the Royals, 2015 and 2016, it was a critical member of that championship team hit fifth most of the year uh, led the team in RBI tied for the team lead in home runs and uh, had three home runs in the American League division series against Houston including a huge three run home run in game five Uh, Sean I don't you I don't know if you remember but we kind of panned the signing at the time it was a two year 17 million dollar deal but seemed to work out okay how you uh, remember the Kendris Morales era in Kansas City
2: Yeah, um, God, I don't remember, I don't remember how I felt at the time, um, man, I I really wish I could remember how I felt at the time, uh, you know, I'll remember it obviously for 2015, um, just all the kind of the moments he had, and and it seemed like he was, I mean, who's been a better, pure? I guess you can make the case for Soler, but like, who's been a better kind of pure DH in the past 10-ish years for the Royals, maybe Billy Butler, um, yeah, I mean, that first year was great. 15, obviously a big part of the World Series team. The next year, I think he got off really slow the next year, right? And yeah. kind of had that nice stretch of like 10 games where he just went nuts to kind of help him out, uh, but then kind of wasn't quite there for the rest of the year. Um, so, really good start, kind of faded, um, but it's hard to not have positive memories of any player from 2015 that's not named Eric Osmer, obviously. Yeah. I have no good memories of Eric Osmer. Um, period. So, <laughs> H- a or just cuff I have to get my Cuthbert digging in every single episode. So, <laughs> Anyways. I,
0: I do remember. I, I remember. I was really down on the signing, and I for and it, and I'll put this on. You know, bad on me. I had a totally misconceived notion of what Kendrick Morales was before he came to Kansas City. I thought he was like this free swinging, low on low low on base percentage guy. Which, so apparently, I hadn't been following his career at all because he was actually a fairly patient hitter on that uh 2015 Royals team. He was actually third on the team in on-base percentage at 3.62. So, you know, he was a you know, he he was a one-dimensional guy in that he was only a DH, but what you know, he did that pretty well. Uh David, what what was kind of your uh, I guess impression of Kendrys Morales? Do you remember what you thought at the time of the signing?
3: Well, I'm sorry. first of all, only a DH. Like, I played some right field. Okay, so <laughs> don't, right. don't forget, don't forget Philadelphia, man. Uh, <laughs> no, I when when he signed, I I didn't mind the deal from a from a bargain standpoint. And then I saw the numbers and I was like that's not a bargain. That's a terrible deal. <laughs> and it it worked out. I mean, look, they didn't in 2016, like like Sean was saying, it started off slow and he got hot at times. He's pretty streaky, but I mean, that 2015 was special, and, and he set the Royals' record for – or maybe that was in 2016 when he hit the three home runs. But either way, he's got the Royals' record for total bases in a game. Um, and he might have the most iconic non-World Series moment with that three-run homer mm-hmm. in the ALDS. I mean, him skipping down the line with his arms in the air. That, that's one of those things that – I mean, if I think about that, it just brings a smile to my face. And that's Kendris Morales, and he did, he did that for the Royals. So um, it worked out and good good on him nice career um it it seemed like it was about six careers <laughs> with <laughs> with him coming up as a big prospect and the injury and then coming back you know and and the whole qualifying offer issue and all that but he, he had a hell of a career and um he I, he was one of the main cogs on on a world series champion you can't say that about too many people
2: yeah what's crazy Max, too Oh, oh go sorry ahead. go ahead no yeah go ahead. Uh, on your on your post from December 11, 2014, I put in a comment terrible, just terrible <laughs> borderline got awful. So I was on brand that day. I was I was really working hard to to keep my keep my status going so yeah, I well
0: yeah and David mentioned that he was he had that whole qualifying offer debacle, which is where he was given a qualifying offer by the uh, Seattle Mariners and uh, that made him kind of untouchable as a free agent for a lot of teams, and so he did end up not signing until after the draft in June with the Twins, and then because he had skipped spring training, just had a god-awful season with the Twins, uh, and it looked like he was kind of washed up, and that's why the Royals got him for, I guess, what was kind of perceived by some as a bargain at two years and $17 million, but why some of us maybe thought, okay, why are we signing this washed up D.H., uh, but it turns out with a full spring training under his belt, he ended up having quite a career resurgence. What's kind of interesting is he, he kind of bounced around. He was spent the first six years of his career with the Angels. The Royals are actually the team that he spent the second most amount of games with. Uh, so, you know, he's hes forever Royal, of course, but he actually did spend, I guess, a lot of time with the Royals compared to other teams in his career. So, uh, yeah, what... I
2: forgot about him as an, as an A. I totally forgot that he was an A. I, I remember Blue Jays and Yankees to end, and then obviously Twins, Banners, Angels, but the A's, man... All all 34 games. 34 games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of a rule in baseball that you have to kind of end your career with the Oakland A's. Like, if you look at a lot of big players, like Mike Piazza, Frank Thomas, uh, you know, you can go on through history. A lot of guys end their career in the the Oakland A's, or at least at the end of their career. So... Uh, But
3: not Billy Butler. He ended with the Yankees. That's right. (laughs) But
0: but he was pretty close to the end. (laughs) True. Very
3: true. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, Kendris Morales is part of that postseason. And uh, speaking of postseasons, baseball is thinking about changing up the format of their postseason. I talked about a little bit with Dan Zaborski already, and he did not seem very high on the plan. I know you guys have had a chance to maybe think about it a little bit uh, what's what's your thoughts on baseball expanding possibly expanding the playoffs to two more teams David
3: so my first thought when I saw it, whatever day it was that it came out I thought you know what maybe I just don't like change maybe I need to sleep on it and look at it again in the morning and I looked at it again in the morning and I still hated it so <laughs> <laughs> I, there, there's my there's my evaluation I look I I understand the idea that you're thinking of ideas—that's great. That's great. This one's bad. Um, there is no reason to expand the playoff field in this way because all it does is cheapen it. That—that's literally the only thing you do by adding two wild card teams. Basically, saying you're going to add a couple of low 80s wins teams is you cheapen the postseason. And what inevitably will happen at some point is some team's going to be a 78-84 and 84 team. They're going to be the seventh team in the playoffs. They're going to get hot for three weeks. And they're going to win the World Series. And it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And a lot of people have said, talked about the NBA comparison, how they have 16 teams in the playoffs and all that. But honestly, look through the NBA playoffs. How many upsets are there in the first round? There's not many. But baseball is a different animal. Baseball is just a different type of thing than, than, than basketball. There's going to be upsets. There's going to be uh, terrible champions that come from this, in my opinion. And I, I just, I, I think there are ways to improve the game. That and improve the playoffs even that aren't this. Um, I personally just I just don't like what it what it can bring. Um, Like I said, I appreciate the idea of in trying to think of new things, but I just don't appreciate this idea. I guess.
0: Yeah, and I I just the idea of team losing teams being in the playoffs. uh, It it just it there's no place for it. (laughs) I mean, I'm one of the old purists, so I'm probably the wrong market for this anyway, but. You know, I'm one of those people that still thinks we should have just two divisions or maybe just one division where, like, you have to win a a really tough, you know, 16-team or 15-team league to to make the playoffs. Uh, But, you know, I've come to accept a wild card. And I think the way it's structured now with the one-game playoff, that works. I think that's really exciting. It was, you know, 2014 obviously is one of the most memorable, I think, games in all of baseball in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, And so I think it's kind of at a good place right now. And adding two more teams and having this ridiculous, you know, a selection show where the top seeds would, would, would choose who they play. It just seems like a gimmick. I don't know, Sean, what do you think? What was your reaction to this proposed format?
2: Yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> uh, well, put. I, when I first, yeah, it, I mean, I, I'll be honest here. Uh, when I first so when I first saw the move to the 14, I was like, okay, that's not so bad. I, I can dig that. Um, I like the bye. That's fine. It's kind of nice to give the number one team like a week or so off. Um, instead of like three or four days but then i saw all the people running the numbers i'm like oh yeah 79 win team could actually make it in it's like well let's let's not do that i really don't even want to get into the picking the teams thing because that's one of the dumbest ideas that's that's what the that's an xfl idea and i don't want any xfl <laughs> ideas in the mlb that's one that it's got to be manford just sitting around somewhere thinking thinking stuff up um thinking like oh <laughs> I, I don't know i can't just bad and he's like over six or whatever now, right we are like what good proposal has he put out in his tenure that has actually been a good idea so far he's he's reigned over some of the worst ideas we've ever heard and a cheating scandal um, I don't know uh,
0: Which, but some people said this was to distract us from this che- from this yeah. Science yeah, exactly
2: yeah. yeah so not a great start to the um, to the the Manfred you know whatever you want to call it the Manfred era.
0: Yeah, hopefully this is just one of those ideas he's just kind of floating out there to either distract us or just uh, to use his leverage with the union to get some other concession. Uh, but because now, it just it just seems like a ridiculous idea that that really almost every single baseball. I mean, not I'm not gonna speak for all baseball fans, but the reception has been very negative from a lot of baseball fans. It seems like you know, it's a way to universal. not attract new fans, but alienate the fans they already have.
2: The universal DH, though, now he's on to something. When he brought that up not that long ago, now we're talking. Uh, that's a good idea it's not like it's his idea but it's a good idea right
0: well interestingly too i saw there i saw a resolution by in the missouri legislature today to express the sense that the dh should remain in the national league forever because that is the way baseball should be played i'm gonna guess that that legislator is from the st louis area
2: wasn't didn't they also have a proposal to make st make the cardinals the official team of missouri
0: uh, yeah, yeah, I, be- I believe there were competing resolutions for that. But yes, yeah, oh, it's, it's, okay, that okay. sounds
2: like something that a, a St. Louis lawyer well, would do. Emmanuel Cleaver uh, got his 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 article in too. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, you now know, there was say, a an official
0: do... football team of Missouri, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs, and yeah. they did win a championship last week. I don't know if you guys heard about that, uh, and so there was a big, you know, ceremony and a big celebration downtown, uh, and so you know, it's, we're pretty lucky in the last five years we've had. A celebration for the Royals and for the Chiefs. I just want to get kind of your, your guys' thoughts on, on what, you know, there's obviously differences with, with each. Um, uh, but, but David, what was kind of your impression of the Chiefs winning it all compared to how you felt when the Royals won it all?
3: It's funny because there's been so many, like, 2014, 2015 Royals comparisons to the 18-19 Chiefs. And, um, you know, going back to the Super Bowl, even, I think back Lorenzo Cain's three-run double in the 12th inning you can you can directly equate that with Damian Williams touchdown run to, to ice the game. It's and it's just stupid stuff like that is, is always fun for me to to, to play around with. But um, yeah, I think about the parade. The, the biggest thing I noticed I didn't go down there because I I did it five years ago. I don't four years ago really. I don't I don't need to do it again right now. Um, but it really seemed like in twenty fifteen this was a city that didn't know how to run a championship parade, and rightfully <laughs> so. And you know, last week, this sure looked like a city that actually knew how to run a championship parade. It actually it went, it looked like it went smoother. Obviously, there were issues. Uh, there's always issues when you put hundreds of thousands of people in one spot um, that don't typically have that. But it seemed like things went pretty well, actually. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the next parade for the Royals in 2045 and the subsequent <laughs> Chiefs parade five years later, right? Yeah. Or 25 years later, probably. Um, I think I think it'll I think that they will have learned from all their mistakes in these last few years and and everything will be even better then.
0: Sean, who had the better uh, celebration speech? Was it uh, Johnny Gomes or Travis Kelsey?
2: Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I I caught some of the highlights of Kelsey's speech, but I live we had it on mute in my office, um, so I didn't hear it live. It
0: was not safe for work, so that's probably yeah.
2: That. I figured so. Um, but yeah, I mean the parade. I just saw a video of it um, I don't know I mean it's hard to top the Royals parade I I almost wonder if the Chiefs parade would have been bigger if the Royals hadn't done it four years earlier right it was yeah, basically yeah because yeah, think win. I think a lot of people knew
0: right he yeah, had like I've done that I don't need to do this one now yeah. or and, and of course obviously it was cold is a lot colder I mean yeah, that's gonna right. be a big depressive turnout
2: yeah so I don't know it uh it was Quite an event, and I, a lot of people went, and they really had the infrastructure better this year. I think uh, I'm willing to get these numbers saying that I got these numbers wrong, but I think they had 200 porta potties for the Royals one. I think they had 700 for the Chiefs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, obviously, much better planning by the city in this time, this time around.
0: I feel like there's much more consumption of liquids uh, at the Chiefs uh, celebration. Uh, Probably required those porta-potties. I I think (laughs) Sam Mellinger put it really well this week. He wrote something to the effect of like the Royal celebration was like uh, when you get to open your presents on Christmas, uh, whereas the Chiefs celebration was like the day after finals in college where like you're just letting loose and and, uh, (laughs) drinking, so... Uh, that's probably that probably counts for like the different moods I think at each celebration. So, but it was uh, it was great to see. I think I think it's always great to see the city come together. And uh, uh, definitely, I'm I'm a big Chiefs fan as well as a Royals fan. So uh, definitely glad to see both those teams. Final, and honestly, like ten years ago, I don't think I ever imagined either would get a championship. So to see both get a championship within five six years of each other is pretty awesome. So uh, congrats to the Max, Chiefs. And congrats yeah, to all the Chiefs. You and like I.
2: You and I met up for the Royals parade, and you had your kids with you. Were they? Did they? Did they have school that day, or did you take them out of school? They canceled school
0: for the Royals parade, and so the precedent was okay. set. Okay. So we knew, like, the Friday before that, like, okay, they're canceling school Wednesday if, they, if the Chiefs okay. win here. So, uh, right. yeah. okay. So they're all really cheering for the Chiefs. Yeah, More so than I was. Unusual.
2: I didn't I didn't remember if they canceled school for the Royals. Right? They obviously for the Chiefs one, but yeah, okay. And
0: the reason they canceled it was because teachers said they weren't going to show up, and they didn't yeah. have, have enough substitutes to to cover them. Good more, reason. So
2: yeah. yeah. Well,
0: let's wrap it up uh, with our Royals Review reviews. Uh, David, I think it's the first time we've had you on for this. What do you have to share with us tonight?
3: Well, I was just going to talk about a book I finished recently, the uh, Ferryman Institute by Colin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's G-I-G-L. I I, don't, I want to say Colin Jiggle, but I feel like that's probably not <laughs> accurate. Um, it's funny it though. It's, I, I'm going to call him Colin Jiggle. Um, yeah, I, you know I um, I'm a little bit upset that I read it when I did because I'm traveling next month and so I do so I need a like a kind of a light travel book and it, it was just it was just a really good read and you know I, I find myself as an adult I read like infinitely less than I used to. And I, and every time I pick up a book like this that I just like can't put down it, it makes me long for the days that I, I, mean, I remember when I was a kid and I was reading uh, probably like a Beverly Cleary book or something. And I love to read so much that I wanted to get to sleep so I could wake up and read again. And it's just, I feel like it's just just different as an adult and, then, and it kind of sucks. Um, but you know, this book really good. It's about a guy who, um, he's, he's an archangel basically who is, he hands people the keys to the afterlife, um, as they're dying. And he ends up getting into this girl's bedroom while she's about to, uh, commit suicide, which is not lighthearted at all, obviously, but, um, he is told he can stop her if he wants, then he gets in trouble for stopping her. And it's just the adventures that he has with this girl. And, um, really really good book and just kind of kept me captivated and it it brought me It just made me think of when i was a kid and just like could not wait to finish reading and so i i just i miss that feeling and and i feel like i don't know who needs to hear this but it's okay to read as an adult like you you can get into a book and and totally get lost and and wish that it was the next day so you could start reading again it's really okay for anybody who needs that that validation there
0: what was the name of the book again
3: the Ferryman institute
0: very man is too. That's always good to get a book review on here. I appreciate that. Sean, what do you have for us tonight?
2: Um, so a couple shows on HBO, Curb Your Enthusiasm is back. Always great as usual. Really good start. I thought last season wasn't that good, but this season has been really great. Um, Larry is starting a coffee store out of spite. And if you remember, if you watch Seinfeld, um, Jerry tries to return a suit out of spite and they don't let him, but this time Larry does get to uh, start a coffee shop out of spite. Uh, so pretty And then um, uh, Avenue 5, which is Hugh Laurie. And, oh, God, who am I missing? Zach Woods. Um, It's from the writer of Veep. He has a new show, Avenue 5. It's okay. I don't know. It's not that good. Uh, But if you got time to watch something, it's cool. Put it on the background, but it's just okay. Sorry.
0: So I'm going to have to put off watching that for a couple of weeks because I'm not getting HBO until Westworld returns, I think, in March. so man. But I'll definitely have to check that out back by then. Talk about a show
2: that... And, and I'm not going to go on long for this, I promise. Talk about a show that I was so pumped for that I just did not like. You know what I mean? I'm and still I mean, all I'm in, baby. About-
0: I, last year was so confusing, but I, I'm still all in. Yeah,
2: <laughs> man. And they even added a freaking uh, Aaron Paul this year. I'm like, oh, man, that looks great. But I don't know. It's, I mean, Jonathan Nolan, like all this stuff I should really like. And it's like... Takes nine episodes to get to, uh, to explain one concept.
0: <laughs> well, this uh, this week I wanted to share that Sean Foreman received a lifetime achievement award with the Society of American Baseball Research. If you don't know the name Sean Foreman, you've probably used his website baseballreference.com. com. He's also the creator of Football Pro Football Reference com, College Basketball Reference com, all the sports reference coms that are just really invaluable resources for anyone that writes about sports or loves sports or likes to look up, look up, you know, teams they grew up with. And, uh, you know, Sean is, he's a Midwesterner. He's he's from Iowa, from Manning, Iowa, went to the University of Iowa, was a college professor, uh, I think in computer science at St. Joe's in Philadelphia when he decided in the early days of the internet to have a website that had baseball stats, Uh, you know, kind of, because, you know, I'm sure he, like, most baseball fans wanted a one place where they could look up all these stats uh, from all throughout time. And I think what I love about baseball reference is just the simplicity of it, but also the functionality of it. I mean, I th- everything is, like, linkable. So if you go to Kendris Morales' homepage on there, you can quickly go to the 2015 Royals. And from there, you can go to the 2015 American League Divisional Series and see box scores of each game. Uh, and so it's, it's really, it's, there's, every page is loaded with information, but it doesn't feel cluttered with information. So, um, you know, when I, when I was a kid, uh, you know, we, we kind of take for granted now we have all this information at our fingertips. When I was a kid, like you had to wait till like Sunday and then the Kansas City Star would print out statistics for all the current baseball players. And that's all the, you know, if like you were trying to do fantasy baseball at the time, this is when no one did fantasy baseball, you'd have to like wait till Sunday to compile stats. And so, you know, one, one year my uncle gave me a book. It was called Total Baseball, and it had literally – it was literally baseball reference in a book. So it had every single player that ever played the game and their complete register, league leaders, pennant winners, um, you know, Hall of Fame stats. Uh, and and it was the size of, like, two phone books. But it was amazing at the time because, like, I didn't have that stuff. So to have that all now in one – clean website um is is really amazing and i think sean foreman is should at least be considered for the baseball hall of fame for his uh for his contributions to baseball and if nothing else is very deserving of a lifetime achievement award with saber so i salute him and I thank him for all the hard work he does for baseballreference.com and all the sports reference websites so well that'll do it for us this week thanks again to sean and david for being on the show and thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site and we'll talk to you next time